Golden West Radio now brings you the Lawn and Garden Journal. Get your questions ready. Our toll-free line is open at 1-800-374-3315. Now, here's your host, Carla Hersena from St. Mary's Nursery and Garden Center. Good morning, everyone. June 12th, and it is a sunny morning. Uh, the breezes here are a little bit calmer. Wow. I think all the winds that we've been having after that uh, little bit of tumultuous weather has helped to dry things up. But in some areas, we need that moisture in the ground. So it's kind of this oxymoron of, yes, we love the moisture in the ground and we feel for those people that had too much rain. But I know that the farmers are probably going to love the moisture that's in there. I know some of the sod farms in the northern part of the the province, they got a lot of rain. And definitely, Carmen, I hear you, I see you, you got a lot of rain too. Wow, records. And when we think of these rains, we have to think of also the growth and the moisture that gets in there. And it helps these seeds to germinate and break forth from this ground. But we also have to think of the heavy rains and the winds and how they too impact plants. But nevertheless, the strength is in gardening and growing. Our plants will survive. They will come back and wow, they will be beautiful this summer. So I'm sitting here and I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the future. I'm thinking of the next week, every week, the development of the flowers and the plants in the garden. So let's think about our gardens. The poem this morning is called Inside My Garden Gate. How I love my little garden where I sit and contemplate my perfect piece of paradise inside my garden gate. Hanging baskets, pretty pots, the flowers are brimming over, the grass so green, the buttercups, the daisies, and the clover. Honeysuckle and jasmine giving off its sweet perfume. Pretty lilies open, rose bushes in full bloom. In summer they stand tall and proud as the buds turn into flowers. I sit and watch as they all nourish and while away the hours. I see little fledglings nesting high up in the trees, bees in and out of bushes with their variegated leaves, where they all gather all the pollen then soar into the sky. They're heading home at speed, returning to their hive. The melody of the wind chimes as they twinkle in the breeze, interwoven with gossamer cobwebs at night, the spider weaves. The sunshine sparkles on the pond where the lilies grow, goldfish and tadpoles swimming safely down below. It's also peaceful relaxing in the sun where the butterflies flutter by having so much fun. The sun goes down and darkness falls. The moon is big and bold, where all that live in the garden have a story to be told. The little gnomes are watching, and the pixies and the sprites too, dancing by the wishing well, aglow with fairy lights. I can sit here contemplating until it's very late in this magical piece of paradise inside my garden gate. The lines are going to be busy this morning because everyone wants to talk about gardening. So let's go right to Elva. Good morning, Elva. Hi. Hi. How are you, how are you today, Carla? Uh, you know what? Uh, very good. Thank you. You know what? <laughs> uh, we, I took a little break last week. I had 
I'll, I'll let you on the fact. I, I, I'm kind of like a workhorse. I had a little bit of a sore hip. So, uh, uh, but you know what? As soon oh, as my boy. husband's, as soon as my husband sees me up and about, he goes, Oh no, watch out. Here she goes again. <laughs> but where, oh, where yes. are you, where are you calling from to this, from, uh, from Winkler? Oh, and do you guys, did you guys get a lot of rain too? Uh, altogether, it's about close to two inches. Two inches? Well, you know yeah. what? Um, I know that some areas got a, a lot of rain fast, but uh-huh. I'm, I'm just, it's kind of a blessing that we did get some moisture in the ground because the water table, and you can tell by the rivers how low they are. Yeah. And that's a, that's a huge indicator of our, uh, water tables. So. Mm-hmm. Let's yeah. let's take it as what we can do from it, and and not think of it as half empty, but let's think of it as a half full situation. That's right. Yeah, I have a question about my hydrangea. Sure. I pl- I planted it this year, and uh, in spring about oh maybe a month ago or something, and now I think with all the wind and the heat, uh, it has uh, they have lots of sort of brown, half brown leaves and some dried up and and it looks pretty terrible. And I just want to know if you had any ideas of what I could do to keep it alive. Okay. It's, a, seeing... in, it's an but... invincible ruby. Oh, it's pretty. Okay. All right. I know. <laughs> okay. You know what? And I love the name Ruby because you know that's my granddaughter's name. Right. So I target everything to a Ruby here, but you know, more grandchildren on the way. So I got to find more names of more plants. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh-huh. But you know what, Elva? You're not the only one that is going through this because this is kind of a, a not, I think, you know, I don't know if it's earth warming or what, but there's kind of this anomaly that we've had everything from frost, cold weather, excessive heat and now these winds and the winds act just as much as a desiccant and a drying factor as then we do have this heat so for everyone we are sort of seeing reports of uh brown black leaves uh sun's called white castings on leaves and these are all elements or all signs and conditions of heat stress uh sun's called and sort of the indic- indication of this. So A, if you are seeing signs of this, moisture is key in the ground so that the plant has the ability to take up the moisture that it needs to fill those, uh, you know, it's it's like filling your pores. You feel kind of, uh, you know, if your skin, if you're low on uh, hydration, you get kind of a, a different feel to your skin. They need right. that hydration to keep everything sort of plump in their cells. So mm-hmm. for anyone... Uh, if it, you're still, if we get excessive heat and you have something that's newly planted, I like using shade blanket or shade cloth that's on there. Just deflect the sunlight from it. And your shade cloth will also help to deflect some winds. Now, <laughs> just yeah. remember, if you put up the shade cloth that's on your plants, make sure it's well pinned down because with this wind, we don't want to create balloons, okay? Like flying <laughs> away. But yeah. For the conditions that are already there, and if you're seeing it, um, the promotion of good rooting systems is probably the best target of defense to take right now. So, okay, water. How do I get that? Just by well, watering. Water. Keep the root system alive, and you have to remember too, if it's a very, if it's not watering every day, if it, if there's moisture in the ground, do not yeah. water. If, oh, okay. If it dries, then you have to rewater. Okay. Okay. Because, because 
Now, here's something that's going to throw the crooks that's in there, is if you have any, if you've uh, freshly planted too, if you've got something like a, um, a root starter fertilizer or a bone meal that targets on root development, I would probably, and I'm a strong encourager of root development on first plantings of trees and shrubs and plants and annuals is substantial enough that you want to have a good foundation, like a good foundation on a house to promote mm-hmm. upper growth. Okay? Okay. Like I did, when I planted it, I put uh, bone meal good. In, in the hole before I, and I kind of mixed it in with the dirt. Good. And uh, uh, I had manure in there and I had uh, other compost and I thought I had done everything right. <laughs> you, you did, you did, you did. <laughs> Uh, it's just, so, it's, yeah, Elva, it's just the elements right now that are playing the factor. And you know what? As we progress through it, you're starting to see that there's new growth. So if you start to see the emergence of new leaf sets, then you're targeted to be on the good portion of it, okay? Should I cut off the, the leaves that are, are brown or half brown? Okay, trim off the half brown portion of it, yes. Don't defoliate the the shrub completely because if you defoliate, even if you have half brown, half green, the green portion is still viable and it's still trying to do that work for you to respire and grow. So okay. totally don't defoliate because plants need those leaves to sustain, to go again, okay? Okay. Okay? Okay. Sounds good. I will keep babying it as much as I can. Okay, and you're going to phone me in a month and you're going to say, wow, it's developed all these new leaves, okay? Okay, I hope so. (laughs) Okay, all right. Have a great day, Eva. Okay, you too. Okay, bye-bye. We're going to, you know what, Eva, we're going to take one more caller. We're going to go on, keep going through here. Uh, Hi, I think it's Renee. Hi, Renee. Hi, how are you today? I'm good, and how about yourself? I'm good, but my garden is suffering. Oh, how can we help you with your garden? Well, last year my gra- I had Concord grapes play, and the leaves were nice big leaves, and then all of a sudden they just like you close your hand. All the leaves went like that, and I hardly got any fruit. And now the other day I went to the, and the raspberries are doing that too now. I don't know what it is. Okay. Uh, are they going black, or are they just going kind they're of... curling up just like you close your fist. Okay. If they're green and they're curling... Check, open them up, and make sure that you do not have any uh, bugs that are on the inside of that cupped portion of your plant. Because if they were going black and crisp right away, I would probably suspect maybe a fungal problem if there's been areas that you've had too much moisture. But if a plant... Too much moisture now. We have now, but not before. Yeah, yeah. But are are they going black or are they green and curling? They're green and curling. Okay. I took the leaves apart last year on the grapes. Now the raspberries are starting to do that on me. Okay. If it's green and curling, I want you to look on the undersides of the cut portion to see if you have any bugs, because a aphids will cause. Uh, they will aphids is like a small bug. It will suck the juices from the green portion of the plant, and it causes deformation or a curling or cusping problem. Sometimes worms will also cause that curling of a leaf that will cause it to go in thud. So that's the first line of defense that you want to look at to see if there's a bug that's in that portion. Okay? Otherwise, nothing? Okay. All right. If there's also the other thing, you could be, you could be missing some nutrients also, uh, in your soil. 
So have you added any amendments to your soil lately? Well, I had, last year I put uh, uh, fertilizer down all the rows of raspberries, the rhubarb, and everything. So hmm. now the raspberries are, are, are uh, I thought it was the neighbor had sprayed me. I thought it was turning up with the raspberries, but now it's not. It's it's uh, it's the same as, as the grapes are going, and they're about 100, 100 and some feet apart. Yeah, okay, because, yeah, you're right, because sometimes the leaf, I, I don't know if it would be, if it's just curling, but sometimes, like, the other side is, yeah, definitely some herbicides could cause uh, disfiguration or curling, it depends, that there, but the same thing can happen if you have nutrient deficiencies in your soil with grapes, so if that's the case, maybe try potassium or phosphorus, um, you know, so if they're mm-hmm. deficient, because sometimes the deficiencies in your soil when you have potassium and phosphorus will sometimes cause a curling or rolling effect that's on there as well. So if you mm-hmm. can get something that has a little bit more of the phosphorus side, a fertilizer with a little bit higher in phosphorus, try that, okay? Okay. Okay? Okay, thanks you. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay, thanks, Carla. Okay, you're welcome. Nice. And you know what, Renee, have a great day, okay? We are eager to talk about our gardens and sort of see if there's remedies and trials and tribulations. I'd love to hear about your gardens. So give us a call at 1-800-374-3315. Now we're going to go right back to lines. Hi, Mary. Hi, Carla. I'm having problems with my clematis. I keep buying, buying, and uh, for some reason I can't grow them. What am I doing wrong? Okay. Um, which variety of clematis are you get? Like, is it like Jack Manny, the the easy one? You know what? I don't remember the name that I bought. I this one here, I've got it for two years, but it's barely coming out of the ground. Okay, all right. Let me sort of tell clematis itself. If we can let everyone know, because not everyone knows what a clematis is. Um, clematis is a vining plant. It usually has flowers in the shape of a star shaped open. Uh, or, sorry, some of them could be cupped in uh, tank wicketa varieties are hanging. But a lot of them know as the purple um, Jack Manny or Nellie Moser's beautiful climbing. And some of them could be quite aggressive. I hate to say it, but if yours hasn't grown, it's it's there are different problems because you should have it uh, growing upwards. Now, is it planted in full sun? Yes, yes. Okay. Now, the soil around it, whenever we plant new plants... Uh, I don't know where, where are you calling me from? Winnipeg. Winnipeg. Okay. So Winnipeg is very clay based soil. So whenever we do new plantings, we want to make sure that we're giving the opportunity for the plant to grow into good light soil. Mm -hmm. So digging a hole twice as wide and backfilling it with a nice light mixture rather than putting the original heavier clays back into it will help to grow. Okay. Good. And then the other thing is, Clematis is notorious, just like trees and shrubs, that they do not like to be set deeper in the ground than their original root ball. The original root ball should be left to the surface, and then the only fill of soil that should be is around the outer surfaces of that original root ball. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. If And sometimes you see this because we, we sometimes get people that sort of say... Um, why aren't my hostas growing bigger? Or why is my rhubarb not getting big? Or the notorious one of famous is, how come my peonies are not getting big and they never flower? These are clear, classic portions of it that they like to be originally set high. Okay? So 
I'm going to sort of say, if it hasn't been growing, I'm going to say, let's put a spade in the ground and give that clematis a little bit of a lift up. Okay. okay. And another thing I want to say, I've got rocks in front of it. Oh, that's good. That's yeah. good. Be- yes, because... I thought maybe it, it, uh, it's too hot. Yeah. You know what? You are totally right because you know how there's those old wives' tales about sort of gardening and all that kind of stuff? Well, with clematis, they always say they like to grow hot on top and cold on the bottom. Okay. So shading it is perfect. And if you put a rock there that's shading the roots, it's bravo. Okay. I thought it would be too hot. No, no. The rock Uh. is actually, the rock will be warm, but it shades the ground beneath. But here's, okay. Here's the other portion. If it's a limestone, I would remove the limestone. If it's a like a white rock that's lime, because uh, limestones are not good for gardens. Okay. They actually leach, and if you know limestones, it's a soft rock. Right. And it, it will get beaten up with powder, and the extra powder will add different elements to your garden. Mm-hmm. So if you have a, a slate, like use a slate rock or a granite rock or something like that. Okay. No, okay. All right. And when you lift it slightly, what I want you to do is pull away the soil from the main stem a little bit too. Okay. Because if you if you added extra inch or two of soil around that main stemming, um, that's pull that away a little bit. Okay. Okay. And the grass is growing like in between in that. That's is that okay or not? I would have not put grass up against it. I would have left it away from it. Oh, okay. Like, yeah. No, because yeah. it's growing close to the where my grass is growing, and it's yeah. going up. So take okay. it away. Okay. Take, I would move the grass away. Leave your plants as independent as it is, okay. especially around your vining plants. That's it. Because um, you get a little competitive this there. And if you have grass, is it ornamental grass or is it lawn? Lawn. Lawn. Okay. I would remove that because e, A, um, I don't know if you do maintenance on your lawn with, yeah. uh, you do. Okay. If you're using maintenance on your lawn for herbicides or irons or that kind of stuff, that may sometimes affect it too as well. Okay. Oh, okay. Okay. So do a nice little sculpted edge away from it and define it to say, there is my clematis. I'm giving you this glorious spot just dedicated to you. Yes. I, okay. I love that plant, but I just can't grow it. Maybe well, you know what? That's a problem. You know what? Let's try this first to see if we can get it successful. Okay. And then sometimes I the other side of it is um, there are some plants that some people just can't grow. Like, <laughs> try and give me a lupin in my backyard, and I cannot grow a lupin. I've tried years and years of growing lupins. Oh. Okay. And I want to ask you, what kind of vitamins should I give? Uh, if on it, I would probably do with, uh, if you've got um, bone 2020? meal. 2020? No, 2020 is mostly containers. That, that Just give it some bone meal. Just good bone old, meal? Yeah, good old, good old bone meal at the base is good. Let's get I have, that. The, the base has bone meal. That's good. That's so good. If you gave it to it originally, then yeah. in, a, uh, in a month from the time that you gave it again, Give it again because it is a nutrient that could be applied monthly. Okay. okay? And no vitamins. You know what? The vitamin is going to be your bone meal. I want oh, you to okay. con- concentrate on its roots because like the other previous one, if I have good, good roots, 
Okay. I'm going to start. I'm if I have good roots, I'm going to not right. shoot one branch up. I'm going to give you a twenty branches up. Right. Okay. Right. Thanks a lot. Oh, you're very okay. welcome. Have a nice weekend. Yeah, you too. Bye-bye. Enjoy that sunshine. Bye bye. You know, it's always that area, and the focus here is good roots, great top. And I see it too because sometimes uh, I know Virginia, you're waiting. Just let me finish. Um, uh, when you have good rooting system. It can support the plant on the top. And on occasionally, you know, uh, there's been visits where I see plants where if it's not growing on the top portion of it, it's like the root system of their first planted still stays in that pot in the shape of that pot, which means the rooting system isn't supported from what is around it. So that's why we always recommend twice a big hole and good soil. Especially in Winnipeg. Winnipeg, our soils have a tendency to revert back to a clay base, even though, so frequently working the soil, tilling that soil, amending it with compost or peat moss, it just lightens it up and makes it more workable. So, yes, and the one thing I love adding to my soils and my gardens, every year I add some sea soil, which are compost and uh, forest vines, and the forest vines are rendered down, so it makes a great uh, amendment and it's actually a good organic feed that's on it so working your soil it the other thing too is we're working and we're amending it but if you work the top portion of your soil get your little cultivators out I love taking my cultivator and just working around my flowers a little bit getting that air into the ground because air to roots allows them to breathe too because your roots do have to breathe to be able to grow and develop and when you allow that you're going to give some nice little spaces for those worms to do some action. And worms will give you worm castings. Yep, we're talking about worm poop, guys. So they are going to give you, it's this whole cycle of good stuff, good elements into the ground that you are wanting to do to support the root growth. And then you're going to have this burst of growth, burst of bloom, burst of flowers. That's a win-win, right? All right, right back to the, back to the lines. Hi, Virginia. Good morning, Carla. Good morning. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Oh, I have several questions, but I'll, I'll narrow it down just to one. I have a plant uh, given uh, to us uh, a year and a half ago, Calancho. Yep. And uh, it bloomed beautifully for six months, okay. bit, maybe a bit more. And then it, uh, slowly the flowers died off and, and uh, left a, a very nice-looking plant. So I'm just wondering if I can coax it to bloom again. You can coax it to bloom. Uh, generally, when you're doing with the calancho or calanchoe, it's like tomato, tomato. Um, these are succulent type florist plants, and you can grow them and you can continue them to grow. But they're sometimes not always easy to rebloom. Some people are good at it, and there's some that go like it's like a poinsettia. They bloom late fall, early spring. That's in that, and generally they need. Uh, the same type of timing for this photo night, uh, nighttime, daytime oh. to set a bloom. Okay. Okay. I don't have a place to put it uh, to, to rest like. Yeah. What you need to do is you continue to give it the daylight hours that it needs. Mm-hmm. But sometimes you may have heard me sort of say with the poinsettia, push it into a closet or put a box over it mm-hmm. and then give it that complete darkness for a set period of time. Oh, okay. Okay, so if you do this, because usually they need um, four to six weeks of time sensitive to get it to push to bloom. So okay. if you if you do that maybe for four weeks, and then you maybe be able to set a blooming on it, okay? 
Okay, we can give it a try. Thank you give very it, you much. You know what? It's worth. And did you have another question? Actually, uh, yeah. One one other question. We can't grow rhubarb here. And what? Neighbors around here, and, and rhubarb is so easy to grow, but no, it will not grow here. So I don't know what the problem is. Where? Where? Okay, can I ask where you, do you live? West Pine Ridge, just north of Winnipeg. Okay, do you live in an area that has a lot of, um, is your soil too acidic? I don't know. <laughs> okay, is it in a very uh, sprucy, cedary, woodsy area? I, I sort of, like, we, we do have plants behind our, our place, uh, on the back side of our, our yard. Yeah. And I wondered if they are just taking all the nutrition out of the ground where, where the garden is. Yeah, because usually um, rhubarb... Ha- essentially is a full well it will thrive in full sun or part shade but i find that it does better when it has the hot afternoon sun that's on it and usually full sun is considered usually six hours of sunlight combined hours but definitely the hot afternoon sun is beneficial if it is planted closer to other competitive plants like trees and shrub areas you will get that rob of nutrient and moisture that goes to it so you the stalks won't fill out as fast mm-hmm. so subsidizing it or maybe moving it into a garden area that's more open and away from those areas would help to promote the production of it thank you very much for your help Carla. oh you're very welcome you're very day. welcome okay you too bye-bye bye-bye there are so many questions we're going from do you notice how we're going from vegetables to plants to fruit the dynamics and the diversity of this is kind of exciting you know it's all about and uh just before we go to lena I was, um, um, I do a little bit of uh, Instagram and Facebooking and that kind of stuff, and I was shooting some pictures of some allium flowers because the allium, uh, there was the the garden, I should say, the chives, because it belongs in the allium family. My husband was noting that, oh my gosh, my chive bed that used to be a nice block of maybe 18 inches by 18 inches was beautiful, and I love chive blooms is now getting bigger and bigger. Even as my adult children come over and say, can I have some of your chunks of your chives, mom? They seem to be growing. But I posted a picture of the allium flowers because they were so pretty. And I did post that said that, did you know that allium blooms are edible? And we did have a lady that responded that she actually made tea biscuits with the allium blooms in it. And they made her biscuits pretty and tasty at the same time. Just think about that. It is a beautiful sunny morning and we're talking about our gardens. We're going to go right to Lyons. Lena is next. Good morning, Lena. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you calling from? I'm Blumenort. Close Blumenort. to Steinbeck. Oh, and did you guys get lots of rain? Um, I would say a fair amount. I don't have a, a rain gauge, but um, we did get a nice amount and I'm so grateful for it. Oh, you know what? It is nice when, you know, it's kind of refreshing. When you it get is. that rain, it just gives you the, uh, I, with the, te- with, mind you, I was going to say, it gives you the coziness to read a good book and curl up on the, on the couch and watch it rain, but. <laughs> yeah, if you have time, but. If you have time. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. For sure. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? Well, I just like to continue with the rhubarb. Um, the previous caller had problems with rhubarb. Um, I also do have problems. I do have a beautiful rhubarb plants. Yep. But in the last two or three years, I've been having red spots and very um, dried out stalks that I actually have to throw away. 
And I'm just wondering, is there any cure for it? Is there something that I can prevent this from repeating itself? Okay, sometimes with rhubarb, um, you have to be careful with it. Oh, okay, let's go back. Crown, there is something called crown rot that you can get on a rhubarb, which sometimes, a, how old is the plant? Oh, I would say at least 10, 12 years old. Okay, um, I don't know the theory. The crown rot is probably based on if the plant is very old, the very crown of it may become infected or diseased, and it is called crown rot, which sometimes um, the plant gets spotty, it gets yellow, and then slowly it starts to decline, and the plant eventually just collapses on itself. So there is no cure for crown rot. Sorry. Oh, but uh, okay. what you can do is if if it is that, um, removal of it and getting rid of it is the best thing to do and then maybe start fresh with a new plant. Okay? But probably in a different spot then? Yes. Try. Oh. And this is probably the theory that when you're starting, in, and I like when you said that it was to start it in a different spot, is because crop rotation sometimes is very beneficial. We see that with... Um, you know, Grandma used to always flip some of her tomatoes with her potatoes every now and then, and she would rotate her beans just because she knew she had to put nitrogen back in the soil. So, yeah. you know, so I, um, if you want to send a picture, okay? Okay. You can send it to, uh, that's on here, it's the Lawn and Garden Journal okay. at goldenwest.com. Okay. And if I don't have it right, maybe Eva will connect with you to make sure I just said it right. Okay. But, uh, and then we could take a look at it. So give me a picture of the leaves and then also of the crown. Okay. So and, I and just cr- cleaned it up two days ago. I removed all the uh, orange circly leaves and, and spots and I just yeah. discarded it also. I hope there won't be any more, but might have to take a week, uh, wait a week before I can send you a picture if there's yeah, more of this fine. happening. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, okay. that's fine, because if it is crown rot, it will be a recurrent thing that happens to the leaves as the leaves produce each time. Okay. okay. So this is also part of the portion of it to prevent it even going forward on the new stuff, is um, cleaning up any, don't leave any decaying or dead leaves that are lying around. Okay. Always kind of clean up the rhubarb at the end of the season. Okay. Oh, okay. So I guess I have been neglecting that part sometimes. No, I'm not saying that. <laughs> no, I know I, I have. Just, oh, okay. Because we see this also too where um, if we're looking at areas and this is concurrent and maybe I'm, you know what, I used to, my dad would always see an apple drop and he'd say, come on, mom, we got to go pick up the apples. But the reason and the rationale is if you have a lot of decaying fruit and raspberries and apples and plums and pears rotting on the ground this is a this is a dinner bell for rot rot disease bugs and infestations in a cycle so when you clean and you harvest it's keeping a good area that's nice and clean so it's a preventative measure and there's opportunity too that if you have apple trees and raspberries and that that you can rake up and go through there's a reason why we can put those if they're clean and bug free put them in the compost that would add to a really good compost area yes okay okay so i have one more question then so if i find a new spot and a plant more rhubarb i should probably not use from that same plant no no start with a clean fresh plant 
because crown rot is in the crown, which is coming from the main root system. Okay. You, if it is, it, we'll answer you and we'll sort of say, if it's crown rot, unfortunately, you are going to toss that. You're not even going to put that in your compost. Okay. You know, that I've is, been uh, I've been actually throwing it in the garbage because I was wondering yeah. if it is spreading because I get it every year now in the last couple of years. And yeah, yeah, it could be from one. What you will do is, if it is that, you will start with a new plant, different location, because you never don't propagate from something that is diseased. Exactly. Okay. Okay. Well, thank you so much for the information. Oh, you're very welcome. Okay. Have well, a great thank weekend. you, and have a good day. Yeah. You too. Bye. There's so much, and it's it's a true. I, I kind of give a giggle, so mom's probably listening, and she's probably going, yep. We always, I, I have pictures of her going, there's three apples out there, and out she goes, and she gets the apples. So Joyce is next. Hello, Joyce. Good morning. Good morning. Where are you, oh, where are you from, Joyce? I'm calling from South St. Vital. Well, hello. You are just in my neck of the woods. I sure am. I visit your uh, store very often. Well, thank you. How can we help you on the Lawn and Garden Journal? I have problems with little orange bugs that look like, um, almost like ladybugs on my lilies. They yeah. eat mm. the leaves. They eat almost the whole, the, right to the bear, the stock bear. And I'm wondering what, I've used uh, house and garden spray on it. Yeah. But I don't think that's very good for the plant. Well, those are definitely little, this is a tongue twister for me. Lily beetles yes. that are on there. They look like a, um, well, they're not a, they're not a ladybug, but they no. look like a red beetle for sure. So they are a detriment to lilies if you do have them. And, uh, it's kind of caused a, a havoc to some beautiful lily plants all over the province. So to eradicate them, a, uh, Historically, if you want to get out the coffee can and start picking them up, but sometimes you're not always out in the garden and they can devastate a plant quickly. Right. So you can use, uh, there are products like even when you're using the garden sprays, it is contact only so it doesn't leave any residual on the plant to actually add a defense for it. But if on a non-rainy day, you can put diatomaceous earth which okay. is a organic powder, and you can spray it on the leaves and also on the ground around your lilies, okay? If they go through it or if they ingest it, it's going to do a demise to the lily beetle that's on it. So it is one remedy that you can use to help to eradicate them. Uh, if it rains heavily, you're going to have to reapply it, but there is no systemic application that you can put on it to cause it so that if they're continually eating that they you can kill them right away okay i have gone out there and i've picked them off but it's yeah. such a tedious thing to do <laughs> i agree i agree i agree so um you could try doing that uh you can sometimes there's in some insecticidal soaps that you go through but it's again it's an application that you're putting it on that you have to spray if you do see them okay the other thing is in the fall, you have to clean up. So clean up the garden in the fall because the li lily beetles will hide in your plant debris, especially around your lilies. So if you do a good clean maintenance around your lilies and then do an application of the diatomaceous earth around there, maybe you can break the cycle between the lily and the larvae that is in that area. Okay? 
What I usually do in the fall is cut the lily plants, like the stalk, right down to the ground. Yeah. And just rake everything up that is in around it. Yeah. And sometimes what I've, I've tried to use is, is that like a dust that you use to uh, for the uh, bugs on potatoes. Yeah. I use that That's... as well. And, and I notice there's not as many, but yes, you're right. There's some really nice... Uh, I've got some stargazer lilies and some eyeliner that are really nice, beautiful flowers. And one day you go out there and look at them, and they're so pretty. And the next day you go out, and they're just covered with these stupid little bugs. I, you know what? I know. It's so disheartening. And lilies, oh, if you have stargazer lily, oh, my gosh. I love, you know what? We have some here at the, at the greenhouse, and I'm just waiting for some of them to come into bloom because when you... When the stargazers open up, the perfume that you get from right. those are just beautiful. Right. You can smell it all over the yard. And I've got some of the queen of the night, um, the Asiatic lilies, and it seems like they really, really like those. <laughs> well, maybe because they're a little sweeter, okay? <laughs> it could be. I don't know what it is, but I, I do notice that, like, they're all over the place. And then I've got some in pots. Uh, some tiger lilies that I yeah. brought from uh, my daughter's place, and they don't seem to bother those. I don't know if they never got into the soil or what, but... Yeah, they probably did not get into the soil. So, you know what, for the time frame, if you can do a little, you know, there's visions of, I always tell you, there's visions of my, my mom as a kid picking the potato beetles off. But if you have potato, if you have potato dust... You have something that has a little bit of remnant of maybe a product called Seven in there, and that would work. Okay? I, I've also been told to sprinkle cornstarch over them. <laughs> oh, I haven't heard that. Well, I, I've been told that if you sprinkle, I guess it's the powder thing that, that they can't, um, they don't eat it or whatever. Well, you know what? Corn itself causes, and even in us, if you eat corn, your stomach kind of goes pfft. Right? Yeah. It puffs up. So bugs don't like that. But thank you for the advice on the corn cornstarch. Yeah. Maybe some people will hear that and listen. Okay. okay? All right. Have a, Have a great day. day. Okay. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you, everyone. It was nice. I missed you last week, and it was a great conversation learning about gardening. Hey, call us in next week and let us know how your garden grows on the Lawn Garden Journal. Bye-bye, everyone.